Hello once again, happy Sunday, and welcome to Alpha Omega International Online Service. Uh, as you know, for the past several weeks, we've gone through a sermon series entitled Portraits. And in the sermon series, we are looking at one encounter at a time between Jesus and a man or a woman who was in need. And we learn a lot through these encounters. We learn that we can come to Jesus, we, we should come to Jesus in all seasons, at all times, and we can learn a lot about how individuals reacted, how they responded to the, to the ministry of Jesus, to the healing and the touch of Jesus. And today is no different. We are looking at Matthew chapter 8 and reading a story about a leper. So with that, if you have a Bible with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 8 beginning from verse 1, and we only need to read four verses in this story. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he, that is Jesus, came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift of Moses that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Today's sermon is titled, The Untouchable. We read about this leper having leprosy. And if you don't know much about leprosy, it's something that was, especially in ancient days, uh, a very serious, dangerous infection, as well as it would be today, of course. But back then, they knew much uh, less about it, as we know today. But when the Bible talks about leprosy, it could be various skin diseases. But most likely, in the Bible, whenever it mentions leprosy, it was this skin disease that would begin underneath the surface of the skin and then it, eventually it would grow to the top of the skin and at, in the beginning the skin might be shiny or glossy and then it would become white and scaly and then it would spread and when people had leprosy when it would spread it would it seemed to begin to destroy the extremities of the body so you would have fingers falling off toes falling off the nerves and the tissue were so damaged people wouldn't even know that a finger was suddenly missing and as the disease would progress and spread from head to foot eventually they would also even lose their nose it was a death sentence if someone had leprosy and in the way that it spreads the horrific way that this disease comes from under the skin and spreads throughout the whole body and destroys the person's life because of this reason, the Bible often uses leprosy as a symbol of sin. Because just as leprosy grows from underneath the skin and then sort of grows the fruit of the disease on the outside, so sin also begins on the inside. It begins in the mind and in the heart until eventually it surfaces when someone acts or speaks in a sinful way, in a wicked way, there is now the, the, the fruit of what's growing on the inside. 
And just like leprosy, sin will eventually spread throughout the entire person's life until it destroys that person and even people around them. Sin begins on the inside. Someone said, We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. You may have to think about that for a moment, but again, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. On the inside, we were all born into sin. It's who we are. We are like a leper. We are filled with the disease of sin. And if it is not cleansed or forgiven in our life, it will spread until it destroys our life and perhaps the people around us as well. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we've read from chapter 8 in this story, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has a very specific reason in writing his Gospel. He wants to declare the truth that Jesus is the King, the King of Israel, the King of Heaven. And so he begins his Gospel by showing us the person of Jesus. And in the chapter 1, he mentions the genealogy of Jesus, which traces all the way back to King David. So Jesus is the family of King David. He is a rightful king. And it's also Matthew that tells us that when Jesus was little, wise men came from the east looking for the king of the Jews. And when they found Jesus, they bowed before him and worshiped him. Matthew speaks of his person. And then as you move through the gospel in the previous chapters, right before chapter eight, we have the Sermon on the Mount where Matthew records the preaching of the king. And here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And he speaks as one with authority. He speaks as the king of the kingdom. So Matthew shows in his person and in his preaching, he is the king. And then when we get to chapter 8, Matthew now proceeds to tell us of several miracles. In fact, 10. And these miracles are not necessarily in chronological order. But he has a purpose in speaking about these miracles. Because not only does Jesus speak like a king, he acts in the power of a king. Not just a king, but as God. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was David that called God. He said, you are my God and my king. And so Matthew is showing us not just the person or the preaching of this king, but now the power of the king. And we come to chapter 8. And it begins with the words, When he had come down from the mountain. I'm so glad. In fact, this leper of chapter 8, I'm sure, was so glad. Jesus came down from the mountain. You know, Jesus could have stayed up on that mountain and commanded all the people to surrender, to submit, and to obey. He is the rightful king. He has a right to say that. But you know, if he just stayed on the mountain, then he never would have come down to where we are. And not only that, but you remember in the story of the Old Testament when God descended upon Mount Sinai with all the thunderings and the smoke and the fire and the lightning and all the quaking on that mountain. God descended on that mountain. The ground that he stood upon was turned into sapphire stone, which is created from from extreme heat, the glory of God was there on that mountain. What do you suppose would happen 
if God decided to descend from that mountain and walk in the midst of Israel. I suppose that glory and holy fire of God would have immediately consumed every sinner of Israel, which would have been all of them. But after the Sermon on the Mount, God, the King, after He spoke, He came down from the mountain. He came down to where we are. He came down to the sinners. He came down to the leper. And by doing this, He sort of came to the untouchables. Not only the sinners, but also those who were deemed untouchable because of their diseases. He came to this man, and He also comes to us. Thank the Lord Jesus that He came down out of heaven and into this world, and as John said, He dwelt among us. Jesus came to where we are. And as this story now unfolds, as He meets this leper, we're going to focus on three parts to the story. They are, number one, the desperate man. Number two, the deeper touch. Number three, the dynamic life. Let's begin. Number one, the desperate man. First, look what he did. Matthew 8, verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. A leper. Do you know that when a leper's disease was pronounced, when it was diagnosed and pronounced, God made sure in the Old Testament, in fact, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, He made sure only the priest could diagnose leprosy and then give the instructions on what needs to happen. But God made sure it was careful, that it was deliberate. They had to take their time and make sure that this was indeed leprosy. Not only because the seriousness of the disease in the person's body, but because the consequences for that person in having a disease were even further reaching than the disease in itself. Because eventually, a person who was pronounced a leper had to leave the city. He or she had to be sort of cast out of the city, live outside the walls of the city where he would live alone. Or perhaps he would live with other lepers. But for the most part, he could never go back home with this disease. He would have to wear clothing that was torn and tattered so that when you saw a leper from afar, you knew there's something wrong and I can't get close. And that was a part of the law. You couldn't go anywhere near a leper. They believed in this time that you had to stand at least 150 feet away. And you couldn't stand downwind from a leper just in case the disease spreads by breathing. They were afraid of that air infecting them. So they stood as far away as possible. The leper was sent out wearing this clothing. He couldn't cut his hair. He had to cover his mouth. And if seeing him dressed like that wasn't enough, the leper, if he approached anyone, if he saw anyone from a distance, he had to shout out, unclean, unclean, just to make sure everybody knows this is a leprous person and you must stay away. How long, I wonder, had it been since this leper ever enjoyed being with his family? 
How long had it been since he felt the touch of a hand upon his own life? But here he comes. Behold, a leper is what Matthew says. And you can imagine as the leper is walking among the multitude surrounding Jesus, it's sort of like the Red Sea parting. I'm sure everybody, as they hear unclean, unclean, they all begin to separate and get away as far as possible from this sick individual. And maybe as he's walking through, someone is saying, how dare he? How dare he show up like this? How dare he approach the king? But you know, I believe that this man, I don't think he cared about what other people thought. All he wanted is to be where Jesus was, just like the woman with the hemorrhaging. She didn't care about what the people would think of her. All she knew is, I see Jesus and I must go to where he is. The Bible says he worshiped him. In other words, he fell down before Jesus in worship. He stopped just short of Jesus. He fell and worshiped him. He didn't care what people thought, but he did care what Jesus thought. So without coming too close, he fell to the ground and began to worship. Do you know at church, which I'm sure if you're watching, you're part of another church, maybe your church does this as well. At the end of a sermon, we often like to give people in the church an opportunity to respond. Not for my benefit, not for the benefit of anybody else, but it's between the individual and the Lord. But to respond in faith, and, and we always invite them to what we call an altar call. And it's when we ask people if they need prayer, if there's something happening in their life, and they just need to come before the Lord and pray, and maybe I can pray with them. I'll invite someone, anyone who has a need to come to the front. And I've learned that there are times where there are people that are embarrassed and they don't want to get up and have people look at them and worried about what people would say. Sometimes after the sermon and if I'm asking someone to respond, I, I won't take the risk of embarrassing anybody. So instead, while everybody's heads are bowed, I'll just ask if anybody wants to raise a hand, respond in that way. Quickly, just raise a hand, put it down, and at least the Lord sees that response and now I know who I can pray for as I close in service. But you know, there are times where I just feel God speaking to my heart to call for those who are in need. Come to the altar of the Lord and let's pray and seek the Lord together. And I'll give that invitation and I have seen people not hesitate at all. Some of them will just get right up and come to the altar and some are already crying. Some are already shaking in their weeping before they even reach the altar. And in those times, I, I always want people to know who come to the altar. When I pray for an individual, maybe they're going through sin. Maybe it's a need that they have. Maybe something's happened and they just need the Lord's help. I always want people to know I am no different. I am also in great need of the Lord. And if you come to the altar because of sin in your life, I've also come from the same place. We are all lepers. We've all been diseased with this horrible thing called sin. We've all been ashamed of who we are and what we've done. And I always want people to know 
that when I pray for them, I'm not praying down to them. I, I'm not looking down. We are on the same ground, on the same level. We all know what it's like to be a leper, to be the untouchable before God. We all know what it's like to be in great need of the Lord's ministry and forgiveness in our own life. And that brings us to an important point. Because in this verse, this man is only called a leper. We don't know his name. We only know him by his disease. And so how wonderfully fitting it is for me to read this passage and say, Behold, a leper named Heath came and worshipped Jesus. I am this leper. We're all this leper. And we are all in great need of the Lord. Second, listen to what he said. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In this prayer, notice there is no question whatsoever on whether God can do this or not. He has full confidence that Jesus is able to cleanse him of his leprosy. There's no question about that. But he is uncertain about whether the Lord is willing to heal him. He knew Jesus could. He didn't know if Jesus would. Have you ever prayed like that? Knowing that whatever problem you bring before God, you know that he can do it. You know he can solve it. You know he can heal the situation. You know he can do that which needs to be done. But while you confess that, you also say, Lord, I, I don't know if you're willing to do this. But if you are, I know that you can. Have you ever prayed like that? Now, there may be some who look at the prayer of this leper and accuse him of not having enough faith. Maybe you've also wondered about your own prayer for whatever it is you are seeking for. If seeking God's will before your own, is that some sort of lack of faith? If you say, Lord, I know that you can do this, but I want your will to be done. Is, is that a lack of faith? Are we to pray, Lord, since I know you can do it, now do it. As though we are commanding the Lord on what to do. Do we somehow have God in a box where if we say the right words, we do the right things, then he is obligated to do what we are asking or telling him to do? Do you think Jesus ever prayed to the Father and expressed his own desire and yet surrendered to the Father's will? In other words, do you think Jesus ever prayed, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will? Of course he did. Matthew tells us about that later on in his gospel. But don't you hear in what the leper is praying, don't you hear his, his surrender, his humility? He's already bowing down before Jesus. He's already perhaps on his face, already bowing down, and he calls him Lord. You know, interesting enough, this is the very first time Jesus is called Lord. So, he already acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. He is God. 
and he is able to do the impossible. And so what does he do? He lays his life before the Lord. The one who is powerful, compassionate, merciful. He lays his life down. He sort of surrenders his life. He puts his life into the hands of the one who knows best. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed, Lord, here is my problem. Here is my pressing issue. And I know that with one word, you can solve this problem. With one word, you can make all things new. But Lord, I also believe there are times that you want to teach me through my sufferings. And so, Lord, here is my life. I put my life into your hands. Do as you will. Have you ever prayed like that? I have witnessed in so many cases where people are seeking the healing touch of Jesus that sometimes there is a deeper touch that the Lord wants to give. Something perhaps even more important than the healing itself. The Lord wants to do something even greater than that. Not only touching the surface of the problem, but going deeper and touching a deeper place of a person's life. And that brings us to number two, the deeper touch. Verse three, then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Look at that. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Cleansed means it was completely clean. Not just the surface of the man's skin, but underneath the surface, underneath the skin, it was all cleansed and cleaned. He was completely purified of his disease. Beneath the skin, he was cleansed. To me, this verse, verse number three, this verse is the portrait of the story. It's the part that I love the most. Here we have a leper and he's full of leprosy. In fact, when Luke tells this story, Luke, who is a doctor and who knows all about what leprosy is and what it does, Luke says he was full of leprosy. In other words, it was from head to toe, full of leprosy. And here he is kneeling before Jesus, everybody standing as far away as possible from this man and perhaps covering their own noses from the stench of his body. And here is Jesus. He puts out his hand and he touches the leper. Oh, the multitude must have been shocked. They must have gasped at seeing this. Jesus did the unthinkable for the untouchable. And perhaps they began to murmur among themselves, what is he doing? What is he thinking? How can this be? That's right. How can it be that Jesus would touch such a man? How can it be that Jesus, the Son of God, would become so familiar with our sufferings, this man's suffering, 
How can it be that God would come down into this dark, sin-filled world and give His life for the untouchables? Now Matthew says that Jesus touched the leper and then He said, I am willing, be cleansed. In other words, He touched the leper and then He spoke, I am willing, be cleansed. And then the leprosy was cleansed. Mark confirms this. Mark says that it was after Jesus spoke, then the leprosy was cleansed. What's the point? The point is, it wasn't the touch of Jesus that cleansed the leprosy. It was the spoken word of the king that cleansed the leprosy. So the question is, why did Jesus touch the leper? Why did he do that? I believe it's because Jesus knew there needed to be a deeper cleansing. There needed to be a deeper touch, not just for the leprosy itself, not just underneath the surface of the skin, but all the way to the soul of this man. He needed to be cleansed within his very soul. And you know, only Jesus can reach that far into a person's life. Even the greatest of doctors, their reach can only go so far. Only Jesus can reach into the very heart, into the very soul or spirit of a man. And Jesus knew a deeper touch was needed. He reached out his hand and touched him. For the loneliness and the isolation that this man was going through, for the shame of being unclean, for the fear in his heart, knowing that this disease was a death sentence upon his life, with one touch, Jesus healed a broken-hearted man. Sometimes there is so much more Jesus wants to do, so much more than we ask Him to do. We focus on the, the one thing that we need, whether it's healing or some sort of other need that's going on. We focus on that one thing and we tell God how we need Him to solve this situation and, and perhaps to do it quickly. Yet Jesus knows that there's so much more that needs to be done. There's so much more He wants to do. It's the deeper touch. As you know, last week, uh, Rowena, our faithful and wonderful sister, she went home to be with the Lord. And you know, ever since the beginning last year when, when uh, Rowena was first diagnosed with cancer, she always believed, always prayed that the Lord would heal her of the cancer. And of course, as fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, we believed with her that Jesus would heal her body. But you know, there was a greater work, a deeper touch the Lord wanted to do in her life. Not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, she had texted me. Of course, she was in the Philippines, so she had to text me messages. But she just said to me that the Lord, through her suffering, the Lord was beginning to work in her heart. And he began to point out areas of her life that needed to be 
dealt with. And without going into any detail, that's between Rowena and the Lord. But she just asked me to pray for her because there were some specific things that the Lord was pointing out that needed to be touched, healed, forgiven of. And of course, I assured her that in the Bible, God himself says that those he loves, he rebukes, or those he chastens, he loves. And she felt as though the Lord was chastising her, so I encouraged her, if it's the Lord's chastising, remember, he does this in love for you. So let the Lord do his work. And not too long after that, maybe a couple of days, she texted me again, and she just said, the Lord is so faithful. He is so merciful. He is my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And she said, now I bow my life before him. Whatever the Lord needed to do in Rowena's life, whatever that deeper touch was, he did it. And he brought her to a new place in her life where she was healed of whatever was going on in her heart. Not too long after that, the Lord took her home. And you know, many people will look at this story and, and they'll say what a lot of people say in this situation. They'll say something like, Rowena fought a battle against cancer. She fought well, but in the end, she lost the battle to cancer. But I want to tell you, especially Alvin, if you're listening, Rowena did not lose the battle. She won the battle against cancer. She is the one who is victorious today. How do I know that? Because right now, she is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she lives forevermore. And her cancer is dead forevermore. That cancer will never touch her again. And I believe that right now, though we can't see her, I believe she is dancing and singing and celebrating at the throne of God himself. And not only that, she is now fully experiencing what the Bible calls joy that is unspeakable, inexpressible, and full of glory. In the end, Rowena won the battle. Today she is completely healed of cancer and the Lord did the deeper work in her life and it led her to bow down before her Lord and surrender to him. I will always pray believing in God for healing. I will always pray for that. At the same time, I also know there is a deeper work that often needs to be done. A more important work than physical healing is that deeper touch that the Lord wants to do in somebody's life. Many times somebody who is an unbeliever will ask me to pray for them for their healing. And of course I will do that and believe that God will heal. But I also pray that the Lord will do the greater miracle in that person's life. The greater miracle, which is this, that God would take a person who is dead in their sins, dead in trespasses, and make them alive in Christ Jesus to forgive them and give them eternal life. That is the greater work. That is more important than any physical healing. 
That is the deeper touch. And we all need the deeper touch of the Lord. Amen. And this leads us to our last point, the dynamic life. Look what Jesus says in the end here. See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Notice that. Jesus says, tell no one, but show yourself. Now, I believe, first of all, that Jesus didn't just want this man to sort of go now into the city and just start telling everybody about what Jesus did. I think Jesus knew that if the man were to do that, it's going to cause, it'll cause the whole situation to become a bit of an attraction for people so that people will just come only looking to be healed of their infirmities. And I think Jesus didn't want that to happen, but it did because on the way to the priest, this man was telling every living soul he could find, telling them about what Jesus had done for him. And the truth is, I, I can't blame him. I think I would have done the same thing. I think I would have been excited to tell everyone about what Jesus did. And that's what the man did. And as a result, multitudes came to Jesus looking to be healed. And it became so much that Jesus had to sort of separate himself to a deserted place to be alone. But you know, the Bible says that when Jesus would do that, go to a quiet place by himself, the multitudes would find him. And when they came to him and begged him to heal them, the Bible says that he had compassion for every one of them. And he healed them of all their sicknesses and diseases. How good is Jesus? How loving and compassionate is he? But why did Jesus tell the man, go, show yourself to the priest? Well, for two reasons. Number one, it was the law. If a leper claimed to be healed, to be cleansed, he couldn't just simply go back into society, go back to his home and go back to his nor normal daily uh, routine. He had to go to the priest, the same person who was the only one who could diagnose the leprosy through careful examination. The priest was also the only person who could pronounce a man clean, cleansed, again through careful examination. And if the priest came to that conclusion, the leper, the man of our story, he would bring two birds, cedar wood, hyssop, and also scarlet. He would bring it to the priest, and the priest would take one of those birds and kill it and shed its blood. He then took the other living bird in the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet and dipped it into the blood. And then he took some of the blood and he sprinkled it upon this man seven times. Seven, the number of completion, to declare that this man is completely cleansed of his leprosy. And then the two walked into an open field and they took that living bird and set it free. What a picture that this was. A picture of the freedom 
that this man now can enjoy once again the freedom to live his life to the fullest. Not only was it the law to do this, but Jesus once again didn't want this man to just tell people what happened. He wanted him to show people what happened. Do you know in the story of Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and one day they were back in Lazarus' home in Bethany with many other people, and Jesus was there, John says that many people went to go see Lazarus. They just wanted to see this resurrected man. They had never seen anything like it, so they just wanted to see him with their own eyes, to see what it's like to be a resurrected man to see what the resurrection life was all about. And I can imagine as they saw him, they probably asked him many questions, but John says that when they came and saw Lazarus, they then believed in Jesus. Think of that. Lazarus simply showed himself the new resurrected life. And as a result, people believed in Jesus. Now I'm sure they asked him, Lazarus, how did you do it? What's it like to be you? What would Lazarus say other than, I was a dead man. And what can a dead man do? Nothing at all. I didn't do anything. All I know is that I heard the voice of Jesus and he called my name, Jesus called me and as a result here I am and this is the new dynamic life I have been given and when they saw that life they believed in Jesus and now the same for this man who was formerly a leper Jesus wants him to show his life to the people not just say what happened but show them what happened show them this new dynamic life and when the priest would ask him how did this happen what would he say would he say well i i prayed the right kind of prayer or i did the right kinds of things of course not what could he say other than i gave my life to the lord jesus and he touched me he touched me and then he spoke and through the power of his word, here I am today. So in the same way, I pray that our testimony is not only what we tell people, it's what we show people. May our testimony not only be what we say, but how we live. Do you know many Christians can say one thing, and then live a completely different way. And it shouldn't be like that. May our testimony not only be, listen to what the Lord has done for me, but also look at what the Lord has done in me. Look at this dynamic new life he's given to me. And as Jesus said, may they see that in you and then praise your Father who is in heaven. Let us show this new life. Amen. 
the desperate man, the deeper touch, the dynamic life. What are you in need of today? What is that pressing issue in your life? I want to encourage you that when you go before the Lord, always keep these two things in mind. Number one, always believe that the Lord can do that which you ask. Always believe that by the word of His mouth, just one word and everything in your life can be brand new again. Whether you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your marriage, in your family, always believe that the Lord is able to answer that prayer. And number two, not only believing, but also surrender. Surrender to the Lord Jesus. Like the man of our story, lay your life before the Lord and say to him, Lord, I believe you can do this. And now I surrender my life to you to do even the deeper work, the greater work. Give to me the deeper touch that I need in my life. And Lord, whatever you want to do, here is what I want you to do. But more than that, I want you to do what you want, what you will in my life. I trust you. May we believe and surrender when we come to God in prayer. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you, God, for what you did for this leper. And thank you, Lord, that we can look at this man and identify with him, not only in the physical part, but also in spiritual as well. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we will also come to you believing and surrendering just as he did. Lord, I pray whatever someone is going through today, as we are coming to you in prayer right now, whatever someone is in need of today, we believe in you, Lord, that you can do all things. What people call impossible is possible to you. Let us always believe in that. And also, let us always be ready to surrender to the work that you want to accomplish in our life. If we surrender to you, we can never go wrong. And I pray, Lord, that you will teach us that there's so much more you want to do in us than what we are actually asking you for. So, Lord, here we are. We lay our lives before you. We are at your feet. And we pray that you do whatever you will to do in our life. And in the end, we pray this, that all who see what God has done, they will see it in us and give you the praise and the glory. Yes, you and you alone. Oh, thank you, Lord. Encourage us by your word today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. May God keep his hand upon your life. May he be gracious to you. May he give you peace in your life. And in all that you go through today, may there be peace. May he shine his face upon you and always remind you he is with you through all things and in all times. 
Amen. Until next time, God bless you in Jesus' name.